Sholem Aleichem, Tayer Tzuherers, and welcome back to the Monster Monster. They say the world is divided between cat people and dog people. Well, it may disappoint some of you that when it comes to Jewish culture, there's no doubt about it. Jews are a feline folk. Back in the old country, they used to say, When can you find a Yiddish Shtiba hint? When eins von die zwei? Oder der Yid is kein Yid nicht. Oder der Hint is kein Hint nicht. That is to say, when can you find a dog living in a Jewish home? Well, there's only two possibilities. Either that Jew is no Jew, or that dog is no dog. Well, notwithstanding customary Jewish anti-caninism, there's a long tradition of Jewish stories about dogs. Now, we're not talking about a bunch of goyish mutts like hordes of Dalmatians, or romantic ladies and tramps, or, God forbid, reactionary old yellers or lassies, but a singular, self-aware, and most importantly, politically conscious puppy who would not only save some tow-headed shagets from a burning mill, but then go on to organize against the exploiting mill boss. Our monster this month takes us back to New York's outer boroughs in the darkest days of the Depression and features one of the most beloved hounds of Yiddish literature created by one of the most beloved American Yiddish writers, Chaver Paver, who gave the children of progressive Yiddish schools Labzik, the Jewish laborer's best friend. Actor, illustrator, songwriter, and 2015 Yiddishkeit artist-in-residence, Chance Bone gets on the five train in Brooklyn to read Labzik, the dog of the Great Depression, by Chaver Pavel. In Brownsville, a woman put her little dog in a basket so he couldn't see which way he'd be going. But the little dog, Labzik, was glad about a basket ride and lay happily on his back, waving his little paws joyfully in the air. The woman from Brownsville went to the Sutter Avenue elevated train station, threw a nickel in the turnstile, and hurried up to the platform. A train was already there, waiting to rush them quickly, quickly over the rooftops, then underground, then up again over more rooftops, and once more underground. As the train rushed on its way, the woman talked to the little dog in the basket. Please, Lobzik, don't be angry with me for doing this. It's only because of the depression. Woof, 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 barked Lobzik as he tried to wriggle up to lick her nose, but the woman turned her face away and kept talking. Lobzik, she said, don't think that I don't love you. I love you very much. It's only because we don't have enough to eat anymore. That's why we had to send our little Emma away to my sister in Boston. Lubzik answered, playfully trying to nibble her finger. The train rushed on, up past the houses, down under the ground, and finally arrived at the Jackson Avenue station in the Bronx. The doors opened like they did at every stop. The woman from Brownsville lifted Lubzik out of the basket and set him down on the platform outside while she herself remained on the train. Lubzik happily trotted through the doors to the platform, not realizing that the woman from Brownsville remained on the train. The doors closed behind Lobzik. The train started to move, and the little dog ran after it, barking at the top of his lungs. Orf! Orf! Wait! Uh, wait! Don't leave me! Hey, don't leave me! But it was too late. The train was gone, and the woman from Brownsville with it. The little dog was left behind all alone in a strange place, with just a little note hanging from his neck. At first, Lobzik thought it was a game and that someone would soon come to take him home. 
So he lay down in a corner and waited. He waited and he waited. The hours passed by. The sun went down and nighttime came, and the little dog began to cry very quietly. Every time a train full of working people pulled up to the station, the doors would open and the people would rush out and down the stairs without even a glance at Lobzik. A mean boy scout got off the train and mocked Lobzik's cries. It made Lobzik feel even worse. He felt very sorry for himself. He whimpered like a little baby. <laughs> Hold it! All right, we're going to leave Lobzik whimpering on the platform for a while and tell you about Beryl, the cloakmaker. Beryl, the cloakmaker, has big brown eyes, and they're always laughing. He also has a wife, Molly, who is an excellent cook and housekeeper. He has a son, Mulek, and a little daughter, Rifkala. Beryl was riding on the Lexington Avenue Express, watching the rain hit the window. Oh, he thought to himself, it's really coming down. Ah, but who cares, as long as there's a good supper waiting for me. The Lexington Avenue Express pulled into the Jackson Avenue station. Beryl, the cloakmaker with the laughing eyes, rushed off the train with thoughts of supper waiting for him. But there, shivering, was a little dog with a note tied around his neck, whimpering like a little baby. The little dog licked Beryl's hand as he bent down to read the note. There's a depression on. My husband isn't working, and we don't have enough to eat. Kind people, if you are still working, please take this dog. His name is Lobzik. Beryl argued with himself. Hmm, should I take him home with me or not? Ah, well, I have to feed him. I'm not working much these days. Uh, ah, who cares about that? I'll take him home with me anyways. Come here. Beryl wrapped the wet dog in the newspaper. Lobzik knew that he had found a good, kind person. Now, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that when Beryl brought Lobzik, the little depression dog, home, his kids, Rifkala and Mulek, were so happy. They fed him warm milk, they bathed him and dried him with a nice clean towel. Rifkala sang to him as she rocked him to sleep. Little Lobzik, go to sleep. Don't be afraid, there is no need Depression dog, be sad no more Leave your troubles at the door mm. And Lobzik listened to the little girl and closed his eyes and slept. One night, some weeks later, Beryl the cloakmaker, with the laughing eyes, came home from work, with eyes not laughing. He didn't say, Oh, good evening, Molly, my dear. He didn't say to Rifkala, Good evening, my darling little daughter. And he did not say, Good evening to you, Mulek, my son. Nor did he wish Lobzik the little dog a good evening either. No, he didn't say any of these things. He just sat down at the table and worried. So Molly sat down at the table and worried too. Then Mulek and Rifkala and Lobzik too all sat down at the table and worried about what was worrying Beryl. Suddenly Beryl banged the table with his hand and said, What's going on here? Why is everyone worrying? 
Why don't you put supper on the table? I'm starving. No, his wife replied. I will not put supper on the table. Why not? asked Beryl. Because you didn't say good evening, not to me, not to the children, and not even to Lopsick. Really? said Beryl. I, I, I didn't say good evening. Well then, a good evening to you, Molly, my dear, and Rifkala, my little daughter, good evening, and a good evening to you, Mulek, my boy. Oh, Lobzik, a good evening to you. All right, now that I've said my good evenings, could you please put supper on the table? No, I will not put supper on the table, Molly said. Why not, asked Beryl. I, I just did what you said. Yes, you wished us a good evening, replied Molly. But now, you got to tell us why you're so worried. You think I'm worried, Molly? Beryl answered. Well, yes, I am worried. I'm worried because of the strike. A strike? cried Molly, clasping her hands together. A strike? repeated Mulek, his eyes opened wide. Oh, a strike! Rifkala cried out, covering her mouth with her hands. Oof, oof! Lobzik barked, putting in his two cents. Yes, a strike, repeated Beryl. There's going to be a strike in the shop. The boss wants us to work until nine o'clock every night, but we don't want to. We say that if we work until nine o'clock at night, we'll get sick from the hard work and long hours. In that case, said Molly, let's finish supper and go to bed early, and in the morning I'll go to the shop with you and help on the picket line. I want to help too, Mulek called out. Oh, and me too, said Rifkala. Orf, orf, Lobzik added. <laughs> Well, that's all very well, Beryl said, as he looked at the little dog. But what will we do with Lopsik? He wants to come too. Oh, don't worry, said Mother. Tomorrow we'll tie him to the bed with a piece of rope. And as she talked, she took the rope out of a drawer and put it on the table so that she shouldn't forget it in the morning. Now, as soon as Lopsik noticed the rope, he began to shake all over. He knew by then that the rope could only be meant for him. He looked at the rope and barked at it. Oh, he didn't like it at all. After a while, they all went to sleep. Lobzik, too. And he dreamed that the nasty Boy Scout was running after him with a rope. Lobzik ran and ran. He ran for an hour. He ran for two hours. But the Boy Scout was still running after him. Lobzik dreamed that he jumped on the Lexington Avenue Express and he rode and he rode the whole night long. Suddenly, he felt that he was being choked and he started to pull at whatever was choking him. He pulled and pulled and finally he woke up. It was early in the morning, but the rope was already around his neck and he was tied fast to the bed. The family was just leaving. Lobzik pulled at the rope around his neck and started to cry. As they locked the door behind them and he heard their footsteps going down the stairs, Lobzik began to feel very sorry for himself that he had to remain all alone tied to the bed with a rope, and he whimpered like a little child. It was still dark, and there were no other people out on the street as Beryl, Molly, Rifkala, and Mulek walked to the Jackson Avenue station. They went up the steps, threw their nickels in the turnstile, and walked up to the empty station's platform. There were few trains that early, and the family walked back and forth across the long platform, looking out over the tracks to see if the express was coming. They were talking about the strike when they were interrupted by the hooting of the train in the distance and the click-clack of the wheels. The train pulled into the station, two eyes flashing, one red and one green. 
The doors opened, and just as they were about to go in, they saw him. There he is. Who? Why, who else but Lobzik, of course. Yes, it's Lobzik, all right, and with the little piece of rope still hanging tattered from his neck. He had chewed through the rope with his sharp little teeth, and there he stood, the tears still in his eyes, but very happy now. And as the train rushed on its way, Lobzik jumped from one lap to the other, from Rifkala to Mulik, from Mulik to Beryl, and from Beryl to Molly. He licked their fingers, he tried to lick their noses, and he was so happy he just didn't know what to do with himself. And the train hurried on, quickly, quickly over the rooftops, then underground, then up again over more rooftops, and once more underground. That was Chance Bone reading Lobzik, the Dog of the Great Depression by Chavir Pavel. Oh, oh.